We're talking about thriving with hope and we're studying the Psalms to help us know how to do that. It's the summer of Psalms. The Psalms are stories, they are songs, they're journal entries, they're ways of helping us understand our emotions, to understand who God is and and how it is we are to live. Today we're going to be in Psalm 73 and I just need to give you a heads up, a bit of a warning. I didn't do this with the eight o'clock, but I, 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 I feel like I need to, to, I wish I would have, honestly. Understand that this, this sermon is not light and flaky. It's like a good dad. It's, it's dense and firm, all right? It's dense and firm. And I mean that in the best of ways. So, so go ahead and, and get yourself ready. You're going to have to do some thinking. You're going to have to consider some things uh, that I'm going to say, not from a cultural perspective, but from a biblical perspective. And, and so you're going to hear some things that will fly in the face of, of what you're hearing in culture. And I want you to, to really process with me what I'm saying from God's word to make sure you're hearing rightly. And then so that you can then walk away from this place living and, and obeying rightly. Remember that, that life is not always what it appears to be. We, we don't always get it, but God does. And for those of us who are in Christ, the Psalms bless us. Don't forget this. The Psalms give hope to those who follow Jesus. Jesus is our truth. Jesus is our strength. He is our hope, our life, our salvation. Our, our perspective is often limited. It's easily manipulated. So we can't, we can't trust in it alone. Don't trust your own perspective only. Understand that it is limited, it's easily manipulated. What can you trust? You can trust God's word because it does not change. You can trust the author of God's word because he does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever more. What our psalm helps us to do is to see life from God's perspective. So that when, when we see life from God's perspective, we see it rightly. And when, we are, when we're thinking rightly, we're feeling rightly. And when we're thinking and feeling rightly, we begin to live rightly. And that's what our, our psalm allows us to do. It allows us to be a people who are thriving. Let's remember what thriving is. Thriving is having the confidence to be intimate with God and the contentment to obey God's commands while trusting outcomes to God's capable care. So let's learn how to thrive with hope, even when life seems unfair. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Macy's going to come and she's going to read for us verses 1 through 3. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, we're in Psalm 73, and Macy's going to read first verses 1 through 3. Macy, go ahead and read that for us. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. This psalm is what many uh, identify as a wisdom psalm. Now, what is that? A wisdom psalm helps people see life from God's perspective and to think rightly. Life often seems unfair. We live in a fallen world because of our sin. God created all things in harmony, but because of our treason, our sin, the world is now broken. Now, in his grace and for his glory, God has come to rescue us. And that is the gospel. The gospel tells us some some very fundamental things. Here's the gospel in, in fundamental form. God became flesh, Jesus Christ. 
Jesus lived a holy life, died an atoning death, and was raised victorious over death, uh, over, over death through, through the power that now lives in us. Because he's alive, he can live in us. And that power is, is now mediated through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us life that enables us to believe and he seals us until the day of judgment. This is the gospel. And it is the gospel alone that can heal the hurts of humanity. Friends, we broke this world. We can't fix it. What we have done can't be undone. But what God can do is amazing. What God can do is he can take what we have broken. And when we talk about the three circles, we're talking about what God can do and how we can be a part of what God has done. God's design was harmonious. It was perfection. We destroyed it with our sin. That's why the world is broken. But if we will repent and believe the gospel and experience the power of the living God. We can pursue, we can recover God's design. Often, life will seem unfair. And and the truth is, some people's lives are worse off than others. But we all suffer. And in order to deal with what seems unfair, humanity will often offer solutions. For instance, when the American colonies believed that Britain was being unfair, They wrote the Declaration of Independence, something we still hold to today. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And as Christians, we appreciate the truth and the aspiration that this declaration provides. And we do, we agree that all human beings are created equal and they should have the right to life. That's why we give to the gift for life. We believe from conception until the day of God's choosing of a person's death that their life is to be lived. And there is to be freedom. We have the right to freedom, although we know that none are free who are still under the tyranny of sin. Only those who have been freed from the power and punishment of sin through the gospel are truly free. But we do have volition. We have choice. And we believe that all people have the right and and should be able to pursue happiness. Although as Christians, here's what we know, the pursuit of happiness never produces happiness. Happiness is a byproduct of a thriving life. If you're pursuing happiness, you will never find it. You will never be able to hold on to it. But if you will pursue Christ, he will transform you. And the byproduct, the product of that life will be happiness. Friends, our nation has never lived up to the aspirations of the Declaration of Independence. And so we have people who have been treated wrongly for centuries. We still have it today. We still have people that are being disrespected because of their color, because of their socioeconomic position, because of the country they were born in or from. And, And this is not the way of Christ. The way of Christ is a way that brings healing. Only Christ can bring healing, though. Human beings, we can't fix our problems. We can't heal what's been broken. And, and it, it's not because it hasn't been tried. You know, our government has sought to pass laws so that the, the world does not seem unfair, but they have failed. The cultural elites have, have, have sought to, to pressure certain outcomes so that life would seem fair. They have failed. And now the academic elites are seeking to to use uh, tools that will somehow make the world seem fair. The the latest and greatest is critical theory. Mom and dad, you need to get familiar with this term. You need to be prepared to combat it in your homes as it is taught in schools. 
young adults, you need to be prepared to combat it, speak to it, understand it, know what it is, and then be able to explain why it will fail and how only the gospel can give hope. See, when when God created the world, he, he created these three fundamental things. Distinct genders, we've been made in his image, male and female. Opportunity and responsibility. Anytime you have an opportunity, you have a responsibility. They go hand in hand. And God gave those. And then marriage and family. Critical theory destroys those. Critical theory is not, as they say it is, it's not a tool. It's a worldview that doesn't take God seriously. It is a worldview that creates hate and hostility and has no method for reconciliation and restoration. And that, to me, is the heart of its flaw. It does not provide the means for reconciliation and restoration. And instead, it creates hate. It creates volatility. It creates more divisiveness. It's a worldview that causes divisions and destroys the blessings of God. It destroys the understanding of the distinction of male and female. Basically says we're all the same. It destroys human responsibility by making some oppressed and some oppressors. And the goal is to take those who are oppressed and turn them into oppressors. What the goal becomes then is to create chaos, is to create violence, is to create harm and hurt for the sake of social change. It is destructive. It is demonic. And it destroys marriage. Destroys marriage and family. Because here's the thing. If marriage can be anything, then it's nothing. If marriage can be whatever you want it to be, then it's nothing. The 2015 Obergefell destroyed marriage. At the time, the Solicitor General representing the White House was asked, would this decision, if they ruled in favor, would this harm our First Amendment rights? Would it cause harm to the the rest of society as, as we understood it? And you know what he said without blinking an eye? Yes. And so now we are going to see people push for laws that redefine marriage even more, which will destroy the family all the more, which will cause more pain. In reality, according to the Bible, the world seems unfair. And it seems unfair because the world is broken. And rather than treat symptoms of the unfairness, God has called us to do something better. He's called us to a hope that is found in the gospel of God. This gospel has been given to provide healing and the power over sin and the punishment that is due. We as Christians, we hope in the gospel of God and we must hold to it. It is our mission. That's why we say clearly as we can every week, our mission here at Living Hope is to make disciples, to impact our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. What, was, what were Jesus' last words in Matthew? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the very end of this age. Christ has called us to live on mission for him. We must not change our mission. To fulfill another mission is to fail, is to fail Christ. Again, there are byproducts, there are outcomes that will happen because the gospel works, because the gospel brings transformation. But friends, we've got to stay focused on our mission, which is to make disciples. Friends, our mission is not financial equality. Jesus said you will always have the poor. You know what the gospel does? 
The gospel makes people generous who give and care for the poor. Our goal is not, our mission is not racial equality. We understand all people are made in the image of God and have eternal value. You know what the gospel can do that nothing else can do? Create peacemakers. You know what the world needs today? Peacemakers. People who will seek and give forgiveness. You know what will heal our land? Forgiveness. Me admitting my wrong and asking forgiveness Others admitting they're wrong and receiving forgiveness and there can be healing and there can be hope. You know where the power of that comes from? From the gospel of God in Jesus Christ our Lord alone. There is no other power that brings that about. It is in Christ alone. It is the gospel of God. That's why it's not financial equality. It's not racial equality. It's not gender or misguided identity equality or any other kind of worldly equality. Our goal is to make disciples and the byproduct will be salt and light for a society. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. What does that mean? There is this presence of the church that brings hope and healing and love through the gospel. If we pursue the outcomes, we will never get them. (laughs) Here's what it's like, all right? It's like trying to eat soup on a flat plate. Instead of using a bowl and a spoon, you'll get a sense of it, but it will never satisfy and it will never accomplish that for which it was made. You and I will never accomplish that for which we were made, which is the glory of God without the gospel of God. Everything else will fail. We got to be careful that we don't fall into cultural fads. See, if we get away from our mission and God's word, we will think wrongly the way Asaph, the writer of our psalm today, was thinking. He was thinking wrongly. He thought the world was unfair and it should be fixed with worldly ways. But God showed up and revealed to him the truth. And he received that truth. And my prayer today is that we will receive this truth. That we will recognize what only the hopeful can. And that is the gospel of God has the power to heal and bring the transformation we need in our lives, we need in our relationships, and we need in our land. So take note and learn. When life seems unfair, the hopeful recognize that God is good to the saints. Recognize the exclusivity there. It's there on purpose. God is good to the saints. Look in verse one. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped for for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. God makes us his own people by grace. For those who repent and believe the gospel, we are adopted into the family of God. God becomes our father. Christ becomes our brother. The Holy Spirit becomes the very life of power that enables us to exist and live in him. We are made pure. We are given a pure heart. And, and he awakens us to think rightly. Asaph admits here, I almost slipped. I almost messed up. I was seeing what was happening in the world and I thought this world needs to be fixed. And I thought I could get a worldly tool and I could apply that worldly tool and that would fix it. And then something happened. His eyes were open. Friends, it is a mistake to play this this game that the world has called us to. And here's the game. Here's the game. Learn the game. Here's the name of the game. Here's the game that the world calls us to play. Are you ready? It's the competition game. 
The comparison game is a better way to say it. A comparison game. You want to you know why most, most people aren't happy or are in any way content? It's not because they don't have what they want. It's because they think somebody else has got a little bit more than they do. See, we are constantly called with every advertisement we see, with every Facebook entry that's posted, to play the comparison game. It looks like they've got it. It's a mistake, because here's what it does. And when you start playing it, here's the first thing you're going to do, Christian. You're going to make the fatal, fatal mistake. You're going to take your eyes off of Jesus. See, that's what the comparison game does. Instead of looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we start looking around us and saying, well, what do they have? I, I think I should get some of that. Understand that one of the mistakes of playing this game is that, I'm going to tell you a secret, all right? I'm going to whisper this. It's just, this is a secret. Nobody has everything they want. Everybody is struggling with something. When I look around this room, I see some amazingly talented, gifted people. And if I looked at your Instagram and Facebook posts, I would almost think that you were perfect. But never forget, I'm your pastor. I know many of your secrets. And they're safe because I'm a forgetful person and I can't remember them anyway. If I'm ever called to testify, you have no worries. Did this happen? Probably. Do you have any M&Ms? I can't be bought. No. Friends, everybody's struggling. Everybody's battling something. It's hurt. Everyone's hurting. And so don't look at other people's lives and say, oh man, they've got it. No, they don't. They're hurting somewhere, some way. And it's a deep wound and they're battling. They're battling something. And, and, and when we're playing the comparison game, it, lacks to, it, it leads us to lack gratitude and contentment. You know, one of my favorite stories is in John 21, Jesus has restored Peter to his ministry and told him what's going to happen in his life. And rather than fall down on his face before God and say, oh, praise you, Lord. Thank you very much. You know what he does? He looks over to his friend, John, and say, well, okay, well, what's he going to get? immediately falls into the comparison game. This is John 21, 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also leaned back against him during the, the supper and, and had said, Lord, who is the one, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, it is, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. This is what Jesus is trying to say to us today. Well, Lord, what about them? They've got everything. If that's my will for their life, that's my business. Your business, your opportunity and responsibility is to follow the Lord. And if we keep our eyes on Jesus and we're grateful for what he's done, then we will. Don't let, we forget this. I forget this. If you're a Christian, all your sin has been paid in full and you have been given a place in God's heaven. If you get anything else beyond that, it doesn't matter. Because anything else you get beyond that, you're going to lose. You're not going to keep any of it. 
You know what matters most is the thing we forget the quickest. Our home is in heaven and we are allowed to be there by grace through faith in Christ alone. That means it will take all of eternity for us to be be grateful the way we should be. This is the gift of God. Now understand, God is gracious to us. What is grace? It's when we get uh, what we don't deserve. There's a difference between saints and the wicked. Saints get grace, and they're made saints by grace. What, is, what, what about the wicked? The wicked get, they get justice. Write it down and remember, when life seems unfair, the hopeful recognize that God is just to the wicked. Now here's verses 4 through 20. I'm going to read it, and here in a nutshell is the mindset and the mistake that Asaph made that we all make. Because our perceptions are limited, manipulated, and frail. They, they cannot hold up under the weight of truth. For they have no pangs until death. Oh, really? They don't hurt. They, they don't ever have any... Oh, okay. All right. You're wrong. Their bodies are fat and sleek. By the way, that's a compliment. Fat and sleek. I'm awesome then, right? They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of humankind. For pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Again, wow. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. People see this and they say, well, they just must be perfect. I mean, look, they got all this stuff. They, they, they got the look. And they say, how can God know? Is there any knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase their in riches. So he sees all this and he's like, well, look, they've got everything. And then, then he looks at himself. So he's playing the comparison game. He's like, look, they've got it all. And then, but what about me? Poor me, 13. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. I'm so darn. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I said, I will speak thus, I have betrayed the generation of your children. But, and here's the awakening. When I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. So he's thinking in a worldly way. He's worn out with it. He's mad. He's jealous. He's envious. He thinks he's got it all figured out. They've got everything. I've got nothing. I've served God. I've been, I've sought to be holy. I've lived for the glory of God. What a waste until he went to church. Look at verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned therein. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, you rouse yourself. You despise them as phantoms. You know, from a heavenly perspective, Asaph realized the wicked cannot keep what they have. If you're not going to live for Christ, let me tell you what you're going to live for. I call them the four Ps. Power, pleasure, popularity, or possessions. If you're not going to live for Christ, you're going to live for one or all four of those. And by the way, you cannot keep any of those four. 
they will be taken from you in a moment. It may happen in life, it may happen in death, it will certainly happen at death. Jim Elliot said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jesus said it the other way. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Here's what happens when you live for the things of the world. You lose your soul. You lose your identity. I I watch documentaries on athletes and artists and successful people, and it's fascinating to see what happens to them when they lose their platform. Athletes, politicians, corporate leaders, business people, they can't imagine their life would have, without having the power or the pleasure or the popularity or the possessions. As a matter of fact, those things are what define their lives, things that they cannot keep. And it's, it's a sad thing to see because they often fall into depression and often have suicidal thoughts. Asaph realized they're in. He realized they were going to be judged by God. And friends, here's what we need to do. We need to stop envying people We need to stop playing the comparison game and competing with them. Here's what we need to do. We need to pray for them and love them and share with them the hope of Jesus. Help them see the faults of what the culture is offering and show them the victory in Jesus. Third thing to catch when life seems unfair, the hopeful recognize that God is near. God is near to his people When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Look at at this Christian worldview. Without you, I'm embittered. But with you, my my heart will be pricked. That's a gift. When you feel bad about your sin, that's a gift. Understanding that, that sin is destructive, That's a gift. A lot of people don't have that gift. Sinners don't have that gift. They think that their comfort is their their reward. The Bible says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The will of God is that we recognize sin for what it is and hate it. It says in 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive, deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God gives us this desire to walk with him. And I love this description of how God holds. Look at verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with, with you. You hold my right hand. God holds us. Some of you dads can, can uh, you know, think about this. You probably had a, a similar situation. Uh, years ago, when, when Asher was a little guy and I could put him on my shoulders, I can't imagine putting that monster on my shoulders today, but so this was years ago, I could put him on my shoulders and, and our other two were, were younger and we were at, um, we were in downtown Nashville for the 4th of July festivities and it started to rain. And so I had Asher on my shoulders and uh, Carrie had Kinsey and I had Jackson and I was holding his hand. Of course, he was too old to be holding his dad's hand. He's too cool. Dad, seriously. And I got to hold that boy because everybody's kind of pushing and shoving and moving around. And, and guess what? He's, I'm holding him. Guess what he's doing? 
he's twisting. You know, the old child, you know, stretching the hands out, moving them around, just fumbling with me. And, and you know what I did? I squeezed. <laughs> squeezed. I know there were levels of wrinkles within his hand. I think I heard some bones moving around in there. I was just squeezing because I knew where we needed to go. And I knew that he could get away from the path. And I knew that there could be a problem. So I squeezed. You know what God does to us? When we're saying, no, God, I got this. I don't want to be around you. I don't want to look like I'm with you. I don't want you to tell me what to do. He holds us fast. Some of you, the pain that you're feeling in your, in your life right now is God squeezing you because you're trying to run from him and he's holding on to you and he will not let go. One of my favorite songs is he will hold me fast. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. He will guide us. He will keep us. He will counsel us. And afterward, he will receive us into glory. As I, as I venture on, on my own path, I find Psalm 23 becomes sweeter day by day. If Psalm 23 is not sweet to you, you probably haven't lived long enough. Some of you senior saints, you understand and you cling to Psalm 23. You know a few things because you've seen a few things, right? And those who've seen and experienced the goodness of God through the trials of the valley of the shadow. Psalm 23, I read it in its entirety for your blessing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Is that your hope? If that's not your hope, then your hope is power, pleasure, popularity, possessions, and you won't keep any of them and they won't save you. Christ has called us to this life. And you know what's so sweet about this life? It's so satisfying. Write down and remember, when life seems unfair, the hopeful recognize that God is satisfying to the seeking. Look what Asaph, how he finished. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you, they shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge. And notice this, that I may tell of your works. Friends, this satisfying life that we gain in Christ alone is not meant to be a secret. Last week, I told you I wish that we were as contagious as, as, the, as, the, as the COVID virus. Just being in our presence, you might catch it. 
I, I've, I've, I've come across these commercials I like. I, I bet you know the ones I'm talking about if you watch sports. It's a commercial where this guy is saying, don't be like your parents. And he keeps telling them stuff. That, yeah, you got, some of the dads are like, yeah, it's, they're using that against me. These. I, I love it because, you know, like in one of the scenes, there's a guy standing there and he's looking at paintbrushes. Out of nowhere, this guy just walks up and said, well, you know, if you're going to be painting with this, you know, you need, and the guy walks up and says, he doesn't, act, did he ask for your help? You know, and then there's the one where the guy in the middle of the parking lot, you know, the person clearly knows what they're doing. You're good. You know, backing them up, telling them kind of what, what they did. I love this. I love this line. Nobody cares what time you woke up. No one cares what you had for dinner last night and no one cares what you're going to eat tonight. No one cares. You don't need to tell them. Friends, there's a lot of things that the world does not need us to tell them. But there is one very important thing that the world desperately needs to hear from us. And that is this. God loves us. He sent his son to die for us. That whoever believes in him will be forgiven their sin and receive eternal life. And he will satisfy the depth of their soul. And when enough people are experiencing the satisfaction of the Savior, culture will change. There will be care for the poor. There will be training and development. There will be respect given to people of all races, of all genders, of of all socioeconomic backgrounds. There will be love. Love will permeate and love will heal, but it only happens through Christ and the power of the gospel. So friends, fulfill the mission, impact your homes, your neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. Let's stand together as we pray. As we stand together, I'm going to ask our care leaders, if you would, please come forward. As they come forward to prepare to minister to you, let me pray. Father, your word is true and you are good. And what you have provided through the gospel is everything that we could ever hope for and need. Lord, I know that there are many in this room that don't believe that. And so they're pursuing power and pleasure and popularity and possessions. And Lord, their quest, though it may be successful, it will be disastrous. Because if they try to define themselves by those things, those things will die and with, with them, their own souls. So God, I pray today for some to be saved, some to believe in Jesus Christ. And if you need to believe in Jesus, right there with your head bows and your, and head bowed and your eyes closed, just say this to God. God, I have sinned. Forgive me. I believe Jesus died to pay for that sin and he's been raised. Jesus, live in me and guide me forever and ever. Some of you are my brothers and sisters in Christ. and and you've lost your way, repent and return to the Lord right now. Tell him what you've done wrong. Ask him to forgive you. He's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and renew your faith in him. Some need help this morning. You are welcome to come and get on your knees and just pray, or you can come and talk with one of these leaders. But whatever it is, ask the Lord to help you. Lord God, We need your help. 
We need you to heal what's been broken. We need you to restore and to strengthen. And we know you can do that by the power of the gospel. We know that you can change our land, but you must awaken it with a revival. We know, God, that you can bless our homes, that you can make us the light of the world that you said that we are. We know that you can provide, that you can meet our needs, that you are all sufficient. You are all powerful and you are good and you want what is best. Bless us to seek you, to seek your favor and to find your blessing. In Christ's name, amen.